Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's so good to have you along. Hope you can give us the 90 minutes that I request each week so I can get my six broadcast partners to come to the broadcast table, giving us news behind the headlines you may be hearing or reading. We want the real story to go out. That's why we have these newscasts, these reports from our broadcast partners. And then, of course, at the end, the last eight minutes of the broadcast, I'll give you my prophetic perspective on the news. Ken Timmerman, who is the man who covers geopolitical activities, will come in just a moment. Let me just tell you that at the last half of the next half hour, Sam Rohr, former state senator in Pennsylvania, and now the president of the American Pastors Network, will come and we'll talk about several observations from the impeachment trial that's been going on in the United States Senate. But let's get to geopolitical events around the world with Ken Timmerman. It seems that Joe Biden can't call Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, but he was able to get a hold of the Chinese Communist and Party leader and have a long conversation with him. Seems like his priorities are looking a way that does not look good, especially for the Jewish state. Well, that well put, Jimmy. And this conversation lasted two hours, as one conservative wag put it. President Xi had a lot of instructions to deliver to Joe Biden, uh, a lot of demands. Look, this relationship between the United States and China is absolutely central to the next decade of world politics. It's central not just to both our countries, but for the rest of the world. China is the rising power. They are set to surpass the U.S. in terms of economic output this year. They are also the rising military power. And China is flexing its muscles by influencing the United States government through Joe Biden directly. Uh, You'll notice that this past week, the Biden administration issued an executive order that essentially removed all of the Trump administration restrictions on the Confucius institutes operating in the United States within our education system, especially colleges and universities across the country. Joe Biden and the Biden regime are essentially kowtowing to communist China, taking orders from communist China, removing the Trump-era restrictions on U.S. investment in Chinese military companies, for example, the listing of Chinese military PLA-controlled companies on the U.S. stock exchange. He's removed those restrictions, the removal of restrictions on the Confucius Institutes. These are things that the Communist Chinese Party desperately wanted from the United States. They desperately wanted Joe Biden to come and replace Donald Trump, who had put uh, real restrictions on them and crimped their style. And now they have got a compliant president. This is just the beginning. Just the beginning. And in fact, let's think what they're going to be doing next. Iran, Russia, and China are going to come together for a joint naval exercise in the Indian Ocean. Looks like they're preparing for something, doesn't it, Ken? Well, one of the things that they are preparing for is to resist U.S. military efforts to interdict Iranian oil shipments. Remember, we still have, the Biden administration has not yet removed them. 
we still have restrictions on the sale of Iranian oil. And Iran has gone to great lengths to get around those those restrictions. They're doing ship-to-ship transfers, for example. These cargo ships, so the oil tankers, will turn off their transponders, which is, by the way, illegal by by international sea regulations, the law of the sea, so they can then maneuver to some hidden area and transfer Iranian oil to another oil tanker and then relabel it, and they'll call it oil from Oman or from Iraq or from the UAE or or whatever they want to call it, and then sell it on the open market. They've been doing this a lot. We catch them. Our military catches them. And what Iran is hoping is that they can bring the Russians and the Chinese in with them in some kind of naval pact that would patrol the areas where the U.S. is doing these interdictions, whether it's in the Indian Ocean, the Persian Gulf, or as far away as Indonesia. We had worked, the United States had worked with the Indonesian government last year to seize a couple of oil tankers involved in these illegal oil transfers from ship to ship. So this is, I think, uh, this is a significant development, seeing Russia, China, and Iran in a joint naval exercise. Big deal. Yep, big deal. I don't know if this is real or not. I read a headline, China is creating a master race. True or false? Fake news or what? Uh, Look, this comes from Gordon Chang, who I believe is a very credible analyst and observer of communist China. He is Chinese himself. He understands the way that they think. He reads Mandarin Chinese, and he's reading internal documents. And he came out with a report recently at the Gatestone Institute, which is very disturbing, tremendously disturbing. Uh, And it's not based on his own information. This is information that the Chinese themselves are putting out about using what they call the CRISPR tool to edit genes. And they have been editing human genes. So far, it appears that they've been doing this with aborted fetuses, aborted embryos. Uh, but this is illegal uh, all around the world. There are, there are international compacts to prohibit uh, the editing of human genes. They have one researcher who has been inserting human genes genes that lead to the development of the brain into monkeys and pigs in laboratories. Again, this is totally illegal internationally, this kind of editing human DNA, playing with our biological makeup, playing God, basically, with human human life. And one of their goals does appear to be, again, according to their own publications, to develop a new generation of super- soldiers, Terminator-type soldiers for the Chinese military. So this is not fake news. This is very serious. Uh, it's something that really violates just about every ethical norm in the entire world. But the Chinese don't care about that. They never have. Absolutely. No concern at all. But may I say thank you, Ken, for updating and helping us to realize this is not fake news. It's real information we need to get out to the public. Well, we've been in the Far East. Let's come back to the Middle East. The Iranian foreign minister is warning President Biden that the window for cooperation is closing very rapidly. Is this Iran trying to push around the new president? Absolutely. Zarif is telling the Americans that they've set a February 21st deadline. That's, That's just around the corner for the U.S. and its Western allies to rejoin the Iranian nuclear deal, or at the very least, to lift sanctions on them. That's not going to happen. 
Uh, even the Biden people have said that's not going to happen. But I think, look, the Iranians know that they have many friends in the Biden regime. They have people they've been talking to for years. Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, was involved in negotiating the original Iran deal. Jake Sullivan, who was Hillary Clinton's chief of staff and was Joe Biden's national security advisor as a candidate and now is at the White House in that same role, he has a long relationship of dealing with the Iranians, very friendly to the Iranians. They just named as their uh, sort of emissary to the Iran deal, a man who was also involved in that position in the Obama administration and uh, who's very pro-Palestinian, anti-Israeli, pro-Iranian. Uh, so they know, the Iranians know, they've got many, many friends inside the Biden White House and across the Biden regime at the State Department and elsewhere. So they're really trying to push this. They're trying to push the envelope. They're not going to get February 21st, but they're reminding the Biden people, that this is their top goal, and they will make life difficult for the United States if their friends don't give in to their demands. And at the same time, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps is radicalizing young men all across the Middle East. The United States needs to get on top of that issue, don't they? Well, this is a long-term trend that we've seen, and it's, it's not new. What is new is that the IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, uh, is expanding its efforts. It's expanding into Yemen. It's expanding into the Persian Gulf area, the Arab countries of the Persian Gulf. And remember, their goal is not, the IRGC goal is not to defend Iran's territorial borders. Their charter in the actual constitution of the Islamic Republic of Iran, their charter is to defend the revolution, and to spread the Islamic revolution around the world. And that's what they're doing. Now, they've got a lot more in terms of financial resources than they've had in the past. People don't understand this very well, but sanctions actually, in a, in a strange kind of way, benefit the IRGC. Right? We see sanctions as harming Iran, and they do harm the Iranian government. They do make it difficult for the Iranian regime to sell oil. But what happens is that you have these economic and military cliques in the IRGC who benefit from the black market. So when Iran is pushed to the black market, uh, it's the IRGC that steps in and sells the oil on the black market. They get involved in uh, heroin smuggling and opium smuggling and hashish smuggling. They get involved in cocaine smuggling uh, from Venezuela up to the United States. All of these are off-the-books black market profits. And so they're able to use that to expand their influence into Muslim communities across North Africa, the Middle East, Yemen, uh, and around the world. So that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing really the IRGC pumping itself up and expanding um, the Islamic revolution around the world, as is their charter. And as is Islamic eschatology. You heard the voice of Ken Timmerman there talking to us about geopolitical activities. He's on top of all of these stories. That's why we, on a weekly basis, bring him here to the broadcast table on Prophecy Today. Great report, Ken. Thank you for being on top of everything and helping us to understand what's going on. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. David Dolan standing by. He'll come to the broadcast table with his Middle East news update in a moment right here on Prophecy Today.
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. You know, Jerusalem, according to Ezekiel 5.5, is the center of the earth. When you look at other locations in God's prophetic word where it refers to the city of Jerusalem, you'll see it's the location where God has selected to dwell among his people forever. That's Psalm 132. And the location where Jesus will return to build his temple and rule and reign from that temple forever. That's Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. May I suggest you might want to get a copy of my five-hour audio series entitled simply Jerusalem. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the Prophecy Bookstore and make your purchase of my five-hour audio series entitled Jerusalem. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're going to bring David Dolan to the broadcast table. David has over 30 years' experience as a journalist in the Middle East, a key region of our world, especially as it relates to Bible prophecy. And, David, I am not trying to ride a horse into the ground but President Biden has yet to call Prime Minister Netanyahu. I hear that in Israel they're saying that seems to be that there's going to be a frosty four years ahead. But ironically, he has called the leader of China, talked for two hours with him, not even a hello for the Prime Minister. Is there real concern in Israel about this? Jimmy, there would be under normal circumstances, but because Israel is uh, holding national elections next month, many are saying that's probably the main reason, because it's certainly not clear. Many are saying he's just waiting because he doesn't want to appear to be taking sides in the election. But as you say, he's talked to most world leaders now, and certainly most allies, and now talking to America's adversaries in China and others. So, yeah, they're getting a little nervous that he hasn't yet phoned uh, Netanyahu. But the prime minister himself continues to say, well, I'm not worried. We know each other well, uh, Biden and him. And, uh, you know, he'll get around to it one of these days. We'll see. Well, there's a report coming out of Iraq that Israel carried out a rare airstrike on a vehicle there at the eastern part of Syria and the border near Iraq. What can you tell us about that? 
Well, yes, Jimmy, it's the same area where a number of strikes have been carried out in recent months. In fact, over uh, 15 strikes in that area just a couple weeks ago. So it's not new, but uh, usually, as you suggested, those take place at night when it's uh, a little more difficult for the enemies to see Israeli jets or American jets. And by the way, there uh, were reports that the U.S. was involved in this one as well. But that they did it during the day is a rare occurrence, and it signals that something big was happening that they felt they couldn't prevent. And what uh, one Israeli television network is saying is that it was a transshipment from Iran overland through Iraq and then overland through Syria to Hezbollah, Lebanese Shiite Hezbollah forces in uh, Lebanon, and it contained these uh, devices that upgrade regular missiles to precision-guided missiles that can accurately strike any target even hundreds of miles away. And those are the rockets Israel fears the most in Hezbollah's arsenal, meaning they could say, hey, get the prime minister's residence, here it is on the coordinates, hey, get the Defense Department in Tel Aviv, here's their coordinates, and pretty accurately hit those targets with these advanced weapons. So the rockets remain the same, but the technology to guide them is upgraded, and that's probably what it was, and they just didn't want it to get any further than the Syrian-Iraqi border. Just a moment ago, we were talking about no phone call from President Biden to the Prime Minister of Israel. However, the Prime Minister is actually communicating back to the Secretary of State, Blinken, Tony Blinken, made a statement about the Golan Heights. The prime minister did not like the statement, so he confirmed that the Golan will remain Israeli forever. That's a key, key security location for Israel, isn't it, David? It is, Jimmy, and of all the policy changes that the Biden administration is bringing in, and most of them just reverting back to where Obama, President Obama, his former boss, Biden's former boss, uh, was, uh, the one that worries them the most is the indications that they do not recognize Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Of course, President Trump did that. Israel extended its law over that area in 1981, so a long time ago, but it has not been officially recognized by any U.S. administration since then, apart from former President Trump, now Biden, apparently through Tony Blinken, his Secretary of State, making clear they're going back to the old policy of saying that needs to be negotiated between Israel and Syria, and in the meantime, we do not consider it Israeli territory. Well, their shift towards the Palestinians and their possibility of talks with Iran over the nuclear program, those are all worrisome to Israel, but what they fear most on the ground is a war between Syria and Israel in which the Golan would again be captured. Israel gets about 15% of its water, fresh water from up there. It's the high ground, as you know, above the valley below, the city of Tiberias there and others. And they very much intend to hold on to that forever and not uh, negotiate away with the Syrian regime. And uh, yet uh, the, uh, the Biden administration, I almost called it the Obama administration, is moving back to that neutral policy. They're very, very worried about that and sad to see that. Somewhat of a Freudian slip almost there, David. And by the way, when I take a look at the book, I'm going to tell you the Golden Heights. There's no question as to who owns it. God gave it to the Jewish people. 
3,500 years ago. That's the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. When I take a look at the book, we'll give you more details. There not only is Israeli elections upcoming end of March, I think March the 23rd, but the Palestinians supposedly are going to have elections as well. Interesting comment from Hamas, they are promising Islamic law, Sharia, if indeed they take control of the Palestinian Authority. That's not good, is it? Well, of course it's not. The fact that they run uh, the Gaza Strip at all was not part of any agreements or whatever. They kicked the PLO, the Palestinian Authority, out of the driver's seat, as it were, in 2007 in a violent coup, and they've run the show ever since. And, Jimmy, on top of that, a top Israeli military official who remained unnamed but was quoted in the Israeli press on Thursday as saying that Hamas has totally rebuilt its forces from the 2014 war and gone beyond that now has 7,000 active rockets. Some of those may be precision-guided. They're, of course, allied with Iran as well. But they have a fairly substantial navy now, that they have over 20,000 trained soldiers. In reality, they call them militiamen, but soldiers, and that they're pretty well ready for a fight. So the Israelis are very worried about that, and it's just another sign that the radicalism amongst the Palestinians remains very, very strong, and indeed, Hamas might win those new elections if they're held, like they did the parliamentary elections in 2006, the last time they were held. You know, it's quite interesting to note, if you know the geography of Israel, we're talking about the area called the Gaza Strip in the southern end of Israel at the northern border with Lebanon, Israeli Defense Force holding some drills to be ready if they have to indeed go to war with Hezbollah. Well, indeed, Jimmy, and you know, the Hezbollah organization in Lebanon has basically been extended into Iraq, the Iraqi branch of Hezbollah becoming more and more powerful. They were strengthened and allowed to be strengthened by the government in Baghdad during the fight against the Islamic extremists that were taking back over in Iraq. And uh, that's the area they've been bombing, Israel has, in recent weeks. But Hezbollah itself and Lebanon remaining a major, major force. Of course, I said uh, Hamas, their ally, has 7,000. Well, it's estimated that uh, Hezbollah has at least 150,000 uh, active rockets, and again, increasingly, uh, these precision-guided ones. So they remain Israel's main enemy right along its borders, but Iran's making sure that uh, everybody all around, including the Houthi rebels in Yemen, that they're uh, being armed. And Jimmy, I didn't mention, but the drone force that Hamas has in Gaza, uh, matching what Hezbollah has in Lebanon now, a significant upgrade there, and those can carry uh, bombs themselves, and that's uh, very worrisome to Israel. We often say, David, uh The state of Israel is in a really tough neighborhood. This report seems to indicate the prophetic scenario found in God's word of an alignment of nations quickly coming together, doesn't it? It does, and uh, of course the Syrian uh, regime itself has an increasingly strong military force. They were pretty decimated during the internal civil war, but they're rebuilding their forces. Russia, of course, a key ally of theirs and rearming them. And of course, Russia itself, over the past few years, coming back into Syria in a major way with a major naval base 
in Latakia, north of Damascus, northwest of Damascus, a major air force base near there, and they're extending their reach throughout as much of Syria as they can. So, yes, the big-time enemies and the smaller enemies around are strengthening. And, of course, China's got their foot in the area as well, helping countries there and building up their relationships as well. So uh, the prophetic scenario definitely is forming. And because of that, we bring David Dolan to this broadcast table to give us his Middle East news update. Always a great report, David. You did excellent today. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Winky Madad is going to help to explain to us the International Criminal Court accusation against the Minister of Defense in Israel. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're going to have Winky Madad come to the broadcast table in a moment. In the last of this half hour, Sam Rohr will join us here at the broadcast table. He's a former state senator, and that means as a political leader, he understands maybe what has been going on in Washington with the impeachment trial. And he is now the president of the American Pastors Network, So we're going to have a conversation, try to get up to speed on what has been happening, what may happen in the future. Keep the dial set right where it is. But as promised, let's go to Winky Madad. He's located in the center part of the state of Israel, Judea and Samaria, a very historic site, Shiloh, which is where the Ark of the Covenant rested for about 350 years historic biblical site. It's just a a great place. We've been out there often with Winky Madad. Winky, the continuation of your archaeological dig happening right now? At the present moment, uh, no. It's been on very low key. There's a lot of, of course, back work to do in terms of patching together broken pottery and doing some research and writing up articles. But in fact, just this past week, the group in charge of the of the tell of the archaeological mound asked the volunteers to come and wash and clean some of the pottery that had been accumulated so they can see if they have anything on it, prints or 
or any sort of markings that would help out. So uh, they're itching to get back to work, Jimmy, I can tell you that. I'm sure they are, and you please keep us up to date on how things develop there in Shiloh. Well, the reason for the call and our conversation today, Winky, is that I understand the International Criminal Court at The Hague has charged Israel or some personality in Israel. I don't know quite what it's all about. I've been reading a lot about the ICC. So let me begin our conversation with that. Explain what is the ICC and what is the Hague? Well, after World War II, in noticing and and seeing what the Nazi regime did, they decided, the nations of the world decided to set up a special court called the International Court of Justice, ICJ, that would deal with cases. It would also continue what the League of Nations had and other international uh, law that had been gathered together in academic books over the past hundred years or so. I mean, if uh, you look, if you're an international lawyer, you know, you look up the 1903 Hague Convention. So uh, Hague seems to be a place where people go for justice. But about uh, 20 or so years ago, they decided to set up a ICC, International Criminal Court, that would actually proactively go after persons who uh, are accused of acts of genocide, war crimes, and the like. However, of course, only those states that are members of the ICC can be involved. A, Israel is not, and the whole argument for the past two or three years was, is Palestine a state that could make an application against people? It's not against the state. It's against people like the uh, Minister of Defense in our case or the Commander-in-Chief of the Israeli Defense Forces, etc. So that's what the ICC is. Having explained that, Winky, tell me what the charges are and who they may be charging for whatever they think is a criminal activity. Well, Jimmy, the authorities of Palestine claim that Israel engages in what could be called, and I won't get into the legal complexities, war crimes. According to Geneva Convention 1949, you can't expel people, you can't kick people out of their homes in certain circumstances. The whole slew of Arab propaganda, and of course ignoring that if it wasn't for Arab terror, Israel wouldn't be doing anything at all. So this was moved over several years and has become very political. For example, the prosecutor who was in charge up until recently, and I, I don't know how long she's going to continue, actually served as a legal assistant to a dictator in, in Africa, in Central Africa. So it's a, basically a farce, but there are countries that are bound up by these rules. And if, for example, let's take it to the very end, they decide that Mr. Benny Gantz is a war criminal if he lands tomorrow in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, or Paris, France, I'm just giving an example, of course, he could be arrested. Now, Benny Gantz is the Minister of Defense, and so he's the person, I guess, being charged with, is it some kind of a war crime? And actually, does the ICC have jurisdiction? I think you just said 
that Israel is not a part of the ICC, so how could they have jurisdiction and charge Benny Gantz? Well, to answer the, the second question first, very simple. They say, for argument's sake, uh, Mr. So-and-so is guilty of a war crime. He ordered the bombing of a school, all right? And we find him guilty. Therefore, if he lands up in a country that is part of the ICC, in Europe, for example, that state is compelled to arrest him and turn him over to the authorities in Haag. So it doesn't make a difference in the, in, in the long run. But in any case, we've been through this in the press. We've been through this in various other diplomatic channels. And they had to just move it into a courtroom in order to gain favor for the uh, Arabs of Palestine, who, of course, as we all know, have been the ones responsible for anything we do because they are the ones who are originally firing off the rockets or shooting or placing bombs or tunneling under the border, etc. Winky, is this some type of a propaganda ploy? Or what's the reason? Why is this so important to the citizens of Israel? There are several answers I could give you. Uh, let me just make two points for our listening audience. I have expressed the opinion over several years in our conversations, Jimmy, that the Palestinian Authority is not interested in making peace, but in gaining what they want as their ideological and political goals. So that if they keep Israel on the defensive, if they keep pointing the finger at Israel and making up claims, some of them quite outrageous, some of them quite explainable away, it forces Israel to constantly be on the defensive. They view that as a victory, because they know they can't defeat us militarily. And so now, after doing BDS, boycott, disinvestment sanctions. They now move into this war crimes uh, trial in order, again, to damage Israel. The second thing, of course, is that anything that blackens Israel's name, anything that will then blacken anybody supporting Israel, be him Jewish, be him not Jewish, is a victory or at least a gain in the battle of these Arabs against Israel. And so they can't lose, because anything they gain, even if it's minor, is a victory for them. Sounds to me like uh, the Palestinian Authority and all of their activities, the Hamas, etc., there in the Gaza Strip, and the PLO even are partnering with the ICC to make this propaganda ploy really work. One final question. I understand the ICC claims that the state of Palestine is up and operating today. I mean, that doesn't sound right. I don't believe that the ICC can name a nation just out of thin air. And really, there is no such state as Palestine, is there? Uh, I would agree with you, Jimmy. <laughs> but it seems that this International Criminal Court, after about two years of deliberations, has decided that it is a state, which, of course, as you just said, is basically ridiculous, because if they were a state, why should Israel have to give them vaccinations for the COVID? I'm sure our listeners are aware that over the past two or three months, the Palestinian Authority has been waging a propaganda war about Israel's need to vaccinate the residents of the Palestinian Authority because they're under occupation. Well, if they're under occupation, how can they be a state? If they're a state, 
how can they be under occupation? Is the United States obliged to supply vaccinations to Mexico? I mean, it might be a humanitarian thing. It might be nice to do it, but the United States is not obliged to do it by international law. And the same for us. So, again, they're, as we say, at least in Hebrew, they're grabbing the rope by both ends. And whatever we do, they have some sort of an answer for. And it's really, it's, it's really ridiculous, but too many people in high office believe all this hullabaloo. You know, I have to go back to the Word of God. The Lord talks about a Jewish state, a piece of real estate, ten times what they have today. But it also mentions, in, for example, the little book of Obadiah, about a people, Edomites of yesteryear, Palestinians of today, who are going to be wiped off the earth as if they had never been. That's the bottom line. Whatever the ICC is, they may make an accusation, but ultimately God will rule in the courts of eternity. That is correct, is it not, Winky? That will be the final resolution, unfortunately, because we've been handing our handouts for peace, and they've been giving us war. And that basically is the bottom line. Winky, thank you. I read so much about it, I didn't know really all what it was about, and I'm sure our listeners were probably less knowledgeable than me. So thank you so much for taking a moment to explain this to us. don't want to go too deep, but it's key to understand what is going on in the state of Israel. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation down the road, Winky. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on. Goodbye to you and to our listeners. Very important conversation with Winky Madad as we focused on the International Criminal Court, the ICC, located at The Hague in the Netherlands. We'll talk to John Rood in a moment about what's going on there. John is the man who covers the European Union for us. This is another key region, the Middle East and the European Union, two key regions that we want to cover here on Prophecy Today on a uh, weekly basis. In the last of this half hour, Sam Rohr will join us here at the broadcast table. He's a former state senator, and that means as a political leader, he understands maybe what has been going on in Washington with the impeachment trial. Keep the dial set right where it is. John, am I correct? The Hague is located in the Netherlands? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Hague and the International Criminal Court are in the Netherlands, and it's, it's an institution people should be aware about. Up till this date, they've only done about 30 cases in their history, but it's the founding treaty is the Rome statute system. And so they have put themselves up to judge uh, international crises, mainly uh, genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes. And the pr prosecutor now is seeing if there is a, believing there's a reasonable basis on these type of charges against Israel. It's interesting to note that the United States and Israel is not a state player in the Rome Statute. Indeed, even China and Russia are not uh, inside that jurisdiction. But the Palestinian state is a member, and so they have pushed this through, and it's coming before that there could be a case 
against Israel on such international cause. An interesting statement you made there, the Palestinian state, which there is not one. However, the ICC has said to the world that Palestine is a state, part of the discussion that I had with Winky Madad. Thanks for that background. Very interesting, and we should know about it. Well, here's a big headline coming out of uh, the British Kingdom. We're talking about the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, the radio station for the world. But I understand China has banned the BBC World News from broadcasting there in China. What's the latest details? It's been quite a week. Uh, We see deterioration of relationships between the EU and China and then also EU and Russia. China has come back and uh, has literally banned the BBC from broadcasting within China. Uh, You know, to be realistic, the BBC it was not in all Chinese homes. It was basically broadcast in international hotels and some diplomatic compounds. But yet uh, they have stopped that. And this was actually following the British action to uh, revoke the China global television from broadcasting in the United Kingdom. Their license was not correct, and there were other problems of breaching regulations. But China has returned by stopping the BBC, which we know is all a world-class foremost broadcasting system. China and the U.K., it's deteriorating, uh, especially in January. The U.K. introduced a new visa that 5.4 million Hong Kong residents have the right to live in the United Kingdom. And so China is stepping it up against the United Kingdom. Tit for tat there, and uh, we'll stay on top of that story as well. I understand, John, that a top European Union diplomat, the top diplomat, has proposed new sanctions against Russia. You said it's been some kind of a week. Now, this doesn't sound good for EU-Russian relations, does it? No, the EU-Russian relations are basically at an all-time low right now. The European Union foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, he went and met with the foreign minister of Russia and wanted to extend an olive branch, so to speak, and he was basically just shut down. It was probably the biggest fiasco of diplomatic relations with the EU in history. And uh, while they were having their meeting, quite to his surprise, because he found out later on social media that Russia had expelled diplomats from uh, Germany, Poland, and Sweden. And so the the top diplomat is actually saying that Russia is trying to divide the European Union, and uh, for now, that has uh, some effect. You mentioned Germany there for a moment. The foreign minister of Germany has said that when you think about scrapping the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, this cuts Russia free. Now, I don't understand what that is all about, so explain that a bit for us. Exactly, exactly. This is not uh, the normal that, you know, as we know, the European Union is always trying to put themselves uh, aside from United States interests uh, so that they can have their own stand. 
The German foreign minister says by scrapping the Russian pipeline uh, that would go into Western Europe, that therefore this would be undesirable because then it would take away the last remaining political ties between Russia and the West. So it almost sounds like having the Russian pipeline is the way that the EU can have influence on Russia. Uh, there's two ways to look at this, as you can see. Uh, is the pipeline allowing political influence from the EU over Russia, or is it allowing political influence from Russia over the EU? The tendency has always been for the latter. And as we see from the recent diplomatic meeting, uh, Russia has not been very cooperative, and uh, we see now that diplomats are being expelled on both sides. You may understand why we are reporting this news. John mentioned Russia and the European Union, both major players in the end-time scenario that's found in God's Word. That's why we go to John on a weekly basis to update us as to how the European Union is evolving into the revived Roman Empire. And, of course, Russia will be a major player as well. John, thank you for this excellent report. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thank you very much. Very important report as we look at the European Union from a political perspective. That man doing that, John Rood, for us on a weekly basis. We, of course, look at the political because it is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Well, from the political arena in the European Union to the political arena here in the United States. We're going to bring Sam Rohr to the broadcast table. He's the president of the American Pastors Network, and he for a long time served as a state senator in the state of Pennsylvania. So he may be able to give us some observations as to what we have been watching this week. Sam, uh, let me ask you, I thought it was another member of the three branches of government, referring to, of course, the Supreme Court, who were to rule on the constitutional matters uh, that would confront anybody, but it looks like the Senate has been able to do that. Is that the correct way to do it in the American government? Well, it's interesting you phrased it that way, Jimmy, because ultimately the determiners of law ultimately are supposed to be carefully determined by those who make the law. So ultimately it's the legislature, the Congress, that should, under normal circumstances, make sure that whatever law is passed is consistent with the highest law, which is the Constitution. And when they do that, then you don't have conflicting laws with the Constitution. And when there is an, a disagreement, those unusual circumstances then go to the Supreme Court to make those decisions. But we are in an unusual time when, in regard to all of the things that are leading up in part of this Senate trial, as an example, and many things related that come out of it relative to the election that we went through, the Supreme Court refused, and the lower courts as well, refused to give opportunity for the presentation of evidence as required by law. So they sidestepped their responsibility, which then opens the door for the kind of thing that we're seeing happening 
in the Senate uh, right now in D.C. You know, and I and I and I think it all comes down to, to the perspective that when a person takes their oath, of which I have done many times when I was in office, if a person honestly takes that oath to support and to defend the Constitution of the United States of America, our highest law, and they help them hold their hand up, and they swear, I do solemnly swear, and they, and they take an oath before God and for the people, if they do that, then things work well like fingers in a glove. But if there is a rejection of the God, God to whom they give the oath, or they've set aside that oath because of convenience or political purposes or for whatever reason, which I think has happened in the situation of the court, then what you have, you have a body divided three branches of government specifically to keep each one in check, all of a sudden becoming lawless and doing what they believe to be right, regardless of what God says morally, or what the civil authority, the Constitution, says. That's what we are watching. That's the best way I can describe it. Sam, do you think that even the Chief Justice Roberts, by his action, is making a statement about the constitutionality of the impeachment trial going on there in the Senate? You know, that could be a possibility. I do believe that John Roberts is conflicted in a number of areas, and that's partially why he led the way, for instance, for not responding to the earlier court case, if people remember, the, uh, the appeal from the Republic of Texas, which is the state of Texas, and the other 26 states that came on board in regard to the election. John Roberts led the way, with the majority of the court saying, no, we will not hear this case, even though the Supreme Court is the only place that states can actually go. So in a case like that, I think he sidestepped it for whatever reason. Now his decision that he would not preside, uh, as called by the Constitution, over a Senate trial, which is happening now, that his decision not to do that could be construed as he believes it's truly not constitutional what they're doing, or it could be another sidestepping, and I'm not quite sure which. You know, I have read in the book of Daniel, and in fact even preached on this particular subject, Daniel chapter 10, verses 13 and 21, where it talks about political leaders. The leaders of different nations or empires at that time in history that have been influenced by Satan and made some decisions that actually went against God's will. Now, I know God can put in the hearts and minds of political leaders to make the right decisions, but the devil has access to those minds. Would it not be a very important thing for we as Christians to pray for these leaders in higher authority uh, that they not be influenced by the devil and Try to stop the devil in his tracks. Oh, I think that is absolutely true. You know, uh, I when I pray, as you do, and I know you preach about it and I do as well, when we teach about civil authority, the purposes of civil authority are, is, to, is to enact justice, which hinges on truth. So you praise those who do well. Government is to do that for those who do that, which is according to ultimately God's law and to punish those who break God's law. And if your civil law mirrors, which our Constitution does, biblical law, then everything works 
together. So I pray that those who are in office now and wherever they are, that they would understand their purpose before God, because they will all give an account to God for how they deal on that purpose that God sanctioned. Are they furthering the truth? I pray that they would understand, that they would seek the truth, that they would embrace the truth, and that they would make their votes and their decisions based on truth. If they do, then you have justice. If they reject that, then you have injustice. And, of course, what does the devil want? He always wants to subvert the truth, and he always leads towards injustice. So when we pray for truth and pursuing of truth, we're praying for God's will, and we are praying against the evil one who is the father of lies. And so part is why the Scripture tells us, pray for those in authority so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life, and that's only possible if we base it on truth and God's Word. And that's First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Great passage of Scripture. Study it, my dear friend. Take the exhortation. Let's pray for those in higher authority. Now, neither Sam or myself are saying that God's on the side of one way or the other for the Senate decision on what they're going to do with the impeachment, but simply the principle. That's what we're talking about. Sam, thank you so much for joining me. Great insight. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation down the road. God bless you, Jimmy. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, one more broadcast partner. We're going to be talking with David James and talking about the persecution of Jewish people. Very important subject. You need to stay tuned. That's all after we take a break for the news right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here, and welcome back to Prophecy Today Weekend. So glad to have you along. This is the last half hour. If you can stay with us, you will have fulfilled my desire for you to give us 90 minutes so that I could give you the world and help you to understand how current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I want you to do me a favor. Please respond to my poll question. It's on the home page of Prophecy Today. On the left-hand column as you scroll down, here's the question. Since the Jewish people are God's chosen people, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, and God has made many promises to the Jews that have not been fully fulfilled, do you believe that God still has a plan for his chosen people, the Jewish people? That's the question. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, to answer that question. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I gathered together here at the radio broadcast table for the purpose of discussing an issue that is very much concerning to the body of Christ, to the church. We endeavor to try to give you some biblical principles so that you can make the right decision in your walk with the Lord on these particular issues. This week, we're going to be focusing on the Jewish people. And to do that, we're starting off with a couple of listeners' questions, with the first one being the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, David, which is circumcision. That's right. Well, I deal with this issue in my course, God's Plan Through the Ages, and here's the question from our listener. Why do you think God chose circumcision as a token in the flesh in Genesis 17? 
So, Jimmy, up until Genesis 11, there was one people group that spoke a single language, and then God judged the world by confusing the languages. And it was out of this division into nations that God began raising up a new nation for himself through covenant promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Abrahamic covenant was put into place in five stages, and we find that in Genesis 12, 13, 15, and 17. And it was confirmed to Isaac in chapter 26 and then to Jacob in chapter 28. So going to the question of all the signs God could have given, a tattoo, a pierced ear, or anything else, why circumcision of all things? Well, Scripture doesn't tell us specifically, but I think I can make a case for at least one reason based on the history of of Israel. God ultimately judged Israel through the Assyrians and later the Babylonians because they had turned to idolatry, and that practice came into Israel. Israel when they disobeyed the Lord and married foreign women who worshiped false gods. With this particular sign of circumcision, a Jewish man had an immediate and inescapable reminder in his body on the wedding night as to whether he was being faithful to his God by marrying a Jewish girl or being unfaithful by marrying a pagan idol worshiper. I think that's a pretty good conclusion to the answer for that particular question. Well, David, the second question is somewhat connected with the first one and more directly takes us into the main part of our discussion today, which we actually could call Satan's war against the Jewish people. Well, this is from someone who listens to the program on WTRU radio in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and she writes this, I have perhaps a loaded question which has puzzled me for some time. Why have the Jews been hated and persecuted over the centuries? Is it because they're God's chosen people? And then she goes on to say, because if that's the case and the Lord chose some other group of people, I would think hatred and persecution would have followed as well. So let me deal with the second part of her email first. It wasn't that God chose the Jewish people as an already existing people group. Rather, as I mentioned a moment ago, God chose Abraham to be the father of a nation that had never existed before. And in Genesis 15, God promised a son through whom he would fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham. And this son was Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and it was through Jacob that God would actually establish the nation changing Jacob's name to Israel and giving him 12 sons who fathered the 12 tribes of Israel. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are descendants of Noah's son Shem, and it's from the name Shem that we get the term Semitic. So the nation of Israel is just one of a broader group of Semitic peoples, but when we talk about anti-Semitism, that, I would say, is demonic hatred directed specifically against the Jewish people. And I agree with our listener that this hatred would have existed no matter whom God chose to raise up. It's just that this is the specific group that God chose through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, David. So that then takes us back to the first part of this listener's email concerning why the Jews have been hated and persecuted throughout the centuries, and is it because they are God's chosen people? Well, I would say the short answer is yes, it is because they're God's chosen people, but it's part of a broader strategy in Satan's war against God, and it goes all the way back to the beginning. I teach that the overarching theme of the Bible is God establishing his kingdom of righteousness, and it's always been part of God's plan to have a regent ruling under him on this earth. 
so God gave Adam and Eve dominion, and so they were to be king and queen over his kingdom here on the earth. And there's reason to believe that Satan expected to be given that position as the highest and perhaps most powerful and most beautiful angel. And so when that didn't happen, he rebelled against God along with a third of the angels, and then Satan directed his wrath against Adam and Eve, God's chosen people at that time, and and they fell into sin. And as part of the confrontation of the sin, God pronounced judgment upon Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And this is the first prophecy of Satan's ultimate defeat through a descendant of the woman. It has been the pattern through history where Satan has continually fought to prevent the coming of that person who would defeat him. And he would come through Seth, and then Enoch, and Methuselah, and Noah, and Shem, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah, and David, and then ultimately Mary. So when God raised up a specific nation through whom the victorious king would come, the one who would defeat him, Israel became the object of Satan's wrath, and he tried to destroy them directly or to provoke them to sin to the degree that God himself would destroy them. David, as we think about biblical history, and that's always good to do, by the way, what are some of the most significant examples that show the different tactics that Satan has used in his war against the Jewish people in general? And then specifically, as he would work to prevent the coming of the Messiah. Well, going back even before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Satan at the very beginning incited Cain to offer God unacceptable sacrifices and then to kill his godly brother. Generations later, Satan attacked his fallen angels, cohabited with human women to corrupt the line of the Redeemer, and the result was worldwide wickedness that led to the flood. Satan then incited mankind to disobey God and unite behind him by building a tower where he would be worshipped. And then, as we said, God raised up a new nation and gave them a land that was filled with pagans where they had to fight for survival. And the Israelites then became slaves in Egypt before the Lord delivered them under Moses. And Satan's attacks continued through the conquest of the Promised Land under Joshua, and then throughout the entire era of the Judges, when there was a period of about 350 years of widespread apostasy and anarchy. And Israel's first king, Saul, met satanic opposition and fell into sin, and and David did as well. And Solomon's heart was turned such that he worshipped gods that demanded child sacrifice. And the kingdom divided under Solomon's son, and of the 19 rulers in the northern kingdom, all were idol worshippers. And so God judged them through the Assyrians in 722, and of the 20 southern rulers, only eight of those were believers, and so God ultimately judged Judah through the Babylonians uh, beginning in 606. And by the first century A.D., Israel was under Roman oppression and the rule of puppet kings like Herod, who tried to kill the Messiah, and then finally Jerusalem and the Second Temple were destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. So that is a sweep through history from the Old Testament through the New Testament, first century of Satan's war against the Jewish people. It was a sweep through history. Glad I had my seatbelt fastened. Boy, we were moving there. Well, that's up to the time of Jesus and the destruction of Herod's temple. But as we think about the last 2,000 years, anti-Semitism and rising almost on a daily basis, 
What are some of the major events that have happened since that destruction of Jerusalem's temple and Jerusalem itself in 70 A.D.? Well, in the next century, the Emperor Hadrian built a pagan temple on the Temple Mount, and that led to a revolt that Rome crushed with over 600,000 Jews dying. And as an insult, Hadrian named Israel Palestina, the land of the Philistines. In the 4th century, Christianity became the only legal religion, and with this, both the empire and the institutional church began persecuting Jews for being Christ killers as a group. Jump ahead to the 7th century. Muhammad supposedly received the Quran over a period of 15 years, with later revelation calling for the subjugation or destruction of Jews and Christians, uh, replacing earlier revelation calling for peaceful coexistence. Uh, During the Middle Ages, Jews were persecuted with blood libels and expulsions and forced conversions and killings, and some believed that the Jews possessed magical powers due to a pact with the devil. In the 13th century, the Inquisition burned thousands of Jews at the stake. In the 15th century, the Spanish Inquisition was worse than the medieval Inquisition, and Jews were also expelled from Spain. In the 16th century, Martin Luther called for the permanent oppression and expulsion of Jews and said this, We are at fault in not slaying them, and this view arguably laid an ideological foundation for the Holocaust. And then, of course, in the 20th century, some 6 million Jews died in that Holocaust with Hitler's quest for the final solution, and the Palestinian Liberation Organization officially sought to drive the Jews into the sea after Israel was established in 1948. And then, of course, replacement theology has helped fuel the anti-Israel BDS movement, even among Christians, so it continues to this day. David, sometimes those who stand with the Jewish people are criticized for blindly supporting the modern-day state of Israel, which has a secular government. It's run by those who reject that Jesus is the Messiah. And they say that as a nation, it's no better than any other nation on earth. How do you respond to that? Well, first of all, Jimmy, I do stand in support of the nation of Israel, but not blindly. Israel is like every other nation on the earth in that it's governed by sinful men who need Christ as their Savior. There's corruption and immorality, and a 2015 Gallup poll showed that 65% of Israelis are non-religious or convinced atheists. They reject Christ as Savior. They're in rebellion, and they're under judgment. However, God repeatedly made unconditional eternal promises to Abraham and his descendants through Isaac and Jacob, and to set yourself against the nation of Israel is to come face to face with the God of Israel. Uh, Paul says in Romans 11 that the day is coming when all Israel will be saved, and that will happen when our Jewish Savior returns with us from heaven to set up his kingdom that will be headquartered in Jerusalem. And he'll expand the international borders of Israel to extend from the Nile River to the Euphrates River, and there will be no more West Bank or other so-called Palestinian territories. In Second Samuel 7, God promised to David, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more. God promised to bless those who bless Abraham, Jimmy, and to curse those who curse him. And this still stands, and it's the height of folly to mistreat Israel and the Jewish people. Best not mistreat the Jewish people. They are God's chosen people, according to Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
David, what a opportunity for somebody to learn the history of the Jewish people. I would suggest maybe many of our listeners would like to go back and re-listen and take notes of what you had to say in response to my questions today. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN. There you'll find the interview with David that we just did today. David, thank you so much for all of that research. Appreciate it. That's great information. We need to have that foundation as we study God's Word and, in particular, understand God's eschatological events for the Jewish people in the future. Thank you, buddy. We'll have another conversation next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll open up the Bible. We'll take a look at the book and put that together with the reports from our broadcast partners. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend today, our six broadcast partners came to the broadcast table to give us detailed reports on current events happening around the world. These are events which seem to be a page out of Bible prophecy, which is the end-time scenario that God had the ancient Jewish prophets record some 2,500 years ago, so that today we would be able to determine where we are on God's calendar of prophetic events for the end times. After I rehearse the main stories from these reports, I will give you my prophetic perspective. 
Just a point of information before that, if you will, if you had to miss any of the conversations with my broadcast partners, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you will be able to listen to these very informative updates on current events. Please tell a friend or a family member about these reports. They need to hear what my broadcast partners had to say. That's prophecytoday.com, PTRN. Now for my prophetic perspective on the news. Ken Timmerman covers the geopolitical activities happening around the world, and we talked about President Biden's call to the leader of communist China. Now, I'm not going to get into politics here. However, as we look at the nations today in this world, seemingly they are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. For example, China found in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12 as one of the kings of the east that will be a major player in the end times. We're able to see how God is putting everything together for his plan to be played out. Ken's report on Biden's call to China is a perfect example. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update We referred to Secretary of State Tony Blinken's statement on the Golan Heights. You know, the Golan Heights is key to Israeli security. However, it's also key to the water supply of the entire nation. This piece of real estate was given to the Jewish people some 3,500 years ago. Check that out in Joshua chapter 20, verse 8, and chapter 21, verse 27. The word Golan, like Golan Heights, Golan is used four times in the Bible. Another name for Golan is Bashan, used 59 times in the Bible. You can argue all day if you want to, but you must come to the decision that this real estate belongs to the Jewish people and has done so for 3,500 years. Winky Madad helped us to understand the International Criminal Court and their accusations of Israeli war crimes. The ICC is an international court, self-appointed, and its accusations to accuse Israel of war crimes, all satanic propaganda. If you don't believe Satan is involved, look up 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. And by the way, there is a connection between the EU and China because China has banned BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, and their world news from being broadcast in China. Does that sound familiar? government and its big tech partners shutting down the flow of information. In this report, China is the bad guy, and remember, Antichrist will control in the last days the flow of information. Sam Rohr talked to me about the Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts by his action 
saying that the Trump impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate is not constitutional. Don't ever forget that God brought human government into existence. That's Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. And he did this so that he could direct all the nations of the world to fulfill his will, and especially during the end times. Remember again, Satan will be involved in governmental control as well. That's Daniel chapter 10, verses 13 and 21. David James and I had our weekly conversation. We focused on the history of persecution against the Jewish people. 4,000 years ago, God chose the Jewish people, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 8, and he chose them because he loved them, according to the text. But he also chose them because he has a plan for the Jews, an eternal plan. That's Second Samuel chapter 7, and that plan will be fulfilled. Just a point of information, if you had to miss any of the conversations with my broadcast partners, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you will be able to listen to these very informative updates on current events. Please tell a friend or a family member about these reports. They need to hear what my broadcast partners had to say. That's prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N. These are events which seem to be a page out of Bible prophecy, which is the end-time scenario that God had the ancient Jewish prophets record some 2,500 years ago so that today we would be able to determine where we are on God's calendar of prophetic events for the end times. You know, each week my broadcast partners come to give us more and more evidence that God's prophetic scenario for the end times is coming better and better into focus, so much so that it seems that the next event to happen, the rapture, could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up unto. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.